Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful fucking people? Welcome back to season two of FML Talk. I am so excited to be back with you that that intro deserved a proper F-bomb. I cannot wait to dive into all the amazing guests we have coming on this season. Today's episode is a doozy. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome back to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Oh my god, all of my FMLers. I am so happy to be back for a season two with you guys. I cannot believe it's already been six months of doing this podcast. We have so much exciting stuff coming up this season. Some incredible new guests, some awesome solo episodes, and I have some exciting news for you guys. We have officially launched an FML Talk monthly subscription that you can subscribe to now. It is only $5 a month, which is less than you spend on a fucking cup of coffee every day. And you are going to get a bunch of awesome behind-the-scenes perks. For starters, you will get an entire season of mini bonus FML episodes. They're going to be 15 minutes. I'm going to bring some repeat guests on for some of them, like Brittany Bennett and Lauren Denham. And I'm going to bring some new guests on for some other ones. And you can only get access to listening to those if you join the FML subscription. Apart from the mini bonus episodes, you will also have access to the private FML Talk Facebook group where you will get daily journal prompts and self-love practices. You will get to chat with me and meet and interact with all of the other FMLers that are in the group. It's going to be an awesome new community for all of my badass women. And men, I know we have some male listeners, so maybe a couple awesome guys will be uh, jumping in the Facebook group with us too. We know we uh, we love a good fucking emotionally intelligent man. And last but certainly not least, when you join the subscription, you will also be getting a 10% discount on all the FML merch, on the old stuff, the new stuff that's coming eventually, you will always have a 10% code to order whatever merch your heart desires. I wanted to make sure it was affordable and accessible to everybody to join this little uh, secret society of FMLers. So if you want to sign up for that, you go to Patreon slash FML Talk. We will send you the invite to the private Facebook group, your discount code for the merch, and how you can access all of the little mini bonus episodes, which I've already started recording, and they're so much freaking fun. I cannot wait for you guys to hear them and connect with all of you. And today, guys, we have a freaking doozy of an interview. And I promise you, however you think this story is going to end, you have no freaking idea. 
Um, we recorded this episode back in January, and the turn of events, guys, is unbelievable. I won't ruin it before we get to the end of this episode, but it's pretty freaking juicy. So I first came to know of Brittany Jade when I found her on TikTok, and her story, guys, is really rough and really intense. So when we sat down to do this interview, I didn't really know what all we were getting into. All I knew was that she is a recovered drug addict and a recovered alcoholic. So I knew that we were going to be talking about addiction, but I had no idea the toxicity in her marriage and how difficult it was for her and her ex-husband to get along and the fact that they were enabling each other. And it was a really dire situation for her and her family. And we talk about the custody battle that she went through with her three beautiful kids and how difficult it was for her to really put herself first and get sober. Um, So there's a lot of intensity in this interview. Again, we shot it back in January, and a few months after we did this, she announced something that totally fucking shocked everyone, and I will let you know what that is at the end of the episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. Brittany Jade, welcome to FML Talk, girl. Hi! It's so good to have you here. Um, I can't wait to get into your crazy story. Um, I found you on TikTok, like a lot of the world is doing right now. Yep. <laughs> when when did you start making videos and when did they start blowing up? Um, so I started TikTok in June. So what is that, like eight months ago? It um, seems like years ago in 2020, but... <laughs> right? Yes. Pretty much the same time everyone else started you know, like around that time during quarantine. And they were just for like fun at the time, just like, you know, little silly dances for a couple weeks. And then um, I shared a 15 second video about my divorce and pretty much just announcing for the first time, like this is my new journey as a single mom. It was a 15 second video and it went viral. Yeah. Like crazy viral. (laughs) Yeah. And then shortly after that, I shared about my sobriety journey as well. Yeah, I can't wait to get into all of that. So for the people that don't know, you kind of like set the stage um, as to when you got married, how that relationship was, all the all the details on that. Yeah, so um, so I met my, It's kind of, I'm still going through divorce, so it's husband, ex-husband. I'm probably just going to refer to him as ex-husband. Um, I met him actually in sober living. We, I, straight out of rehab, that's where we met. We got married at 22. Um, and life was pretty good for a while. And then three kids later and a lot of drinking, um, really we lost ourselves. Like we, we just became totally different people. I lost myself in marriage and motherhood, um, for sure. And it was about two years ago was when I was really, really unhappy. And, um, I, 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 thought I needed, I thought I had depression or something and I needed to be diagnosed with something. Um, and through this all, you know, my husband is telling me that I need some magic pill Mm. and that's what he kept saying. So I kept going to doctor after doctor and therapist after therapist. And that's when I first was introduced to, um, 
basically all these red flags and toxic behaviors that were going on in our marriage that I had no idea um, were so unhealthy. Um, And so we'll get to the red flags and stuff in a bit. So you guys met in sober living. Yep. You came out of sober living. You guys got married. And then how long were you both trying to stay sober before the drinking started? So we stayed sober for about three years. Um, but it wasn't like we were like in recovery. We didn't announce we were sober. It was just, we didn't drink. Okay. Um, and we were, I don't know. We just didn't really do a lot. We didn't really have a lot of friends. Um, he didn't really like, I I'm an extreme extrovert. He's an extreme introvert. And, uh, he just kind of wanted to like stay home all the time, which, you know, was kind of good for me because I, I needed to cut out the party stage but at the same time it felt like I wasn't allowed to have friends and I wasn't allowed to go do anything right um so yeah we were able to stay we stayed sober for three years okay and what was life like before you went into sober living and met him you were were you like crazy party girl um yeah pretty much you know like all through high school I was I was the party girl for sure um and I was in like one serious relationship. Like I've been in a, I've been with a man my whole entire life, pretty much. Like since I was very, I've only been in two relationships, one with my ex-husband for 13 years and then one with one man before that for four years. And that, when that, when that broke breakup happened, um, it was really, really bad. And it sent me into an extreme depression. Um, I just didn't think that life was going to go on without him. I had a pretty bad suicide attempt over it. Um, and that's when I started like using drugs and alcohol even worse. Like that's, that's when I was 19. Um, and then I, at 19, I actually went to rehab twice and then met met this, met my ex-husband in sober living. Okay. So then you guys meet, you get Mm -hmm. married, you have three kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when do the cracks start to show and what are the red flags that you now realize you were ignoring? Yeah. So, um, the, our, the second time I got pregnant ended up being twins. So we went from one child to three and, uh, I don't think anyone can prepare you for that. Um, my family all lives, lived 2000 miles away. I'm in California. They were in Wisconsin. So I had no help. Um, and we pretty much, I pretty much started drinking shortly after they were born. They were born uh, six weeks early. So they were extremely colicky. Um, so it's probably right around three months because that's when I stopped breastfeeding and I started drinking. And about when they were about a year old, um, that's when I, that's when the behaviors were pointed out to me, like neighbors and friends would say some say stuff to me. Um, and I'd be like, oh, he just had a really bad day. And they would be like, no, Brittany, this is not normal. Like, that's not normal. And um, I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic and he was, um, he had anger issues as well. And so I grew up in that sort of setting. And it's so sad to say, but like, I almost thought that that was normal because right. like I grew up with that. I thought possibly this was normal. Um, and then, so that's when I started so this is about two years ago. I started, I talked to him about it and I said, you need to control this anger. And what Um, was it, what was it that things, what was the things that people were pointing out? Like, was it things he would say to you or physical stuff? Like what was, it was, um, at at the very beginning was physical stuff, which I don't even, so that's another thing. I don't know how much we can like legally talk about it. Right, right, right. 
you know, because it might, because a lot of it has to do with our kids too. Sure. Of course. So we'll just leave it at physical stuff. Yeah. Anything else we could talk about? Hopefully I'm sure. So yeah, physical stuff. And then, um, that's what it started out with. And then it would get, he would get better for a week and then the anger would come back. And, um, I started, that's when then I started seeing a therapist for like the first time ever. Um, and he swears that that's why we're getting a divorce was because I started seeing a therapist. Well, which, which is not so true. like, that's just gaslighting 101 because that's yes. what anyone should be doing if they have any type of addiction or just, even if they're not dealing with anything, going to therapy yeah. is like a great tool to have. Right. And okay. So at this point, like our, my drinking isn't a concern really. Like I'm drinking, we're drinking a lot, but it's really not a concern. Um, so that the, my drinking really had nothing to do with the beginning of what our divorce started with. Right. Um, so I started seeing a therapist and then that's when I first found out what gaslighting was, which now I literally, it's like it gaslighting is the story of my life. Right. Um, and that's when I found out what narcissism was. That's what I found. That's when I found out that domestic violence can be more forms of abuse than just physical. It can be emotional, mental, psychological, financial. Yep. Um, and that's when I first found out about that. You know, I had, I had a journal, I was writing in every day to, to keep track of, um, just what was being said and done to me. Cause I think when you're going through all that, you don't really, it's easy to forget like, and not really pay attention. And it's so crazy because and when you're, when you're used to it happening to you, you don't really realize how bad it probably is. Oh, 100%. I mean, my ex-husband, it wasn't until I left that relationship and wrote a fucking book about it that I was like, oh, he was a total narcissist. Like I was completely trapped in this relationship with someone that was 100% gaslighting me all the time and making me feel bad about shit that I should have been doing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son. And for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 and use code FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLTalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So, 
Yeah, I started talking to therapists. And then so this is the summer of 2019. I talked to him about possibly separating. And I said, like, he would never leave the house. His whole family lives here. I'm like, can you just go stay with your dad for a little bit? But no, it was his house. He wasn't going to leave. And so I ended up taking the kids with me back to Wisconsin for a month so we could have some time apart because we needed that. And I told him during that time that I was possibly thinking about divorce, was going to do a little bit of research in it. Nothing was for sure. We should still do marriage counseling. Um, and, and was he open to that? Was he like, yeah, no. sure. Let's go to counseling. No, he yeah. didn't want to do counseling. He didn't want to get a divorce. Um, he was very in denial that anything was wrong. Right. It was more so that I was crazy and I needed to get like some magic pill to like make me be happy at that point. Um, and then right when we got back, I got back from have, having our month break, I came back and within like the first two nights, we got into a huge fight. I ended up drinking a ton. Um, I ended up uh, taking a bunch of pills and he watched me take them and I asked if he was going to stop me. And he said, no, it was almost like I wasn't really trying to kill myself that time because I um, self-harm is definitely a huge part of my story. And a, and a lot of it has been very attention seeking, mm -hmm. I realized today. And that was that was more of me just like one last cry out for help, you know, yeah. to my husband. And he said no. And then he waited till I, I, I didn't really take that many. It, like it wasn't I wasn't really trying to kill myself, but um but still how sad that you can be in a marriage looking at the person that's supposed to be your partner in life being like, Hey, I just need you to show me that you don't want me to die. And yeah. he, for him to not do anything. Right. That's devastating. Yeah. So I actually end up in the hospital for two days, um, from that. And so this whole time, you know, he's saying he doesn't want a divorce, nothing's wrong, everything. I find out the day I get out of the hospital from a bill, a letter that when I was in the hospital, he went and filed for divorce. Oh my and, God. and I'm like, really? Like, and he's like, yeah, but I can change my mind at any time. And I'm like, oh no, buddy. Like you just did what I've been talking to you about for six months. Like, no, you just did what I've been wanting to do. You just like, sealed the deal. Like, and then, and then he does end up canceling it. So it never actually got filed. And at that point I'm like, okay, we, we can't afford to get our own attorneys and do this separately, yeah. but we're going to mediation because at this point you just filed for divorce and changed your mind. Like, no, we're going together. We're, we're doing the divorce signing papers. Um, and so we did, we went to mediation, signed papers together, um, which, which he says he, he was forced into, I'm like, no, nobody forced you to sign the paper for divorce. Like there was an attorney in the room with us, you know? Well, after he uh -huh. had already filed just to fuck with you, it's like, come yeah, on. Yeah, I know. And, uh, so I moved out and I knew I, so I moved out and I knew I needed to stay sober. My mom, my mom actually came out. So my mom, he had convinced my own mom, um, that I was crazy. And so my mom took a month off of her job and came out here to help, to help me with my mental health. Like that's why she came out here. And within the first week she saw how he was treating me. It would be like, get the F out of the house, you know? And then he'd call me two hours later and be like, I'm so sorry, please come home. It was very, very erratic behavior on his part. And, um, 
that's when I moved out. She's like, oh no, Brittany, like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were going through all this. Like we're getting you a place, we're moving you out and let's do this. So I moved out and I, my drinking was, was, a, it was concerning at the time. I knew I needed to stop. So I tried really hard to quit on my own. And um, I think a lot of people thought I was, but deep down, I really wasn't. I was still drinking here and there. Um, and then when my mom went back to Wisconsin after she helped me move out and everything, that's when my, and I, I realized all of a sudden, wow, I'm free. I am this free woman finally, you know, after being in this controlling marriage for so long and I'm going to live my life how I want to live my life. And that consisted of me drinking like crazy and partying and the dating apps and meeting men. And it, it was only about a month of that, you know, before it like really. Yeah. And how old were you at the time now? So this is two years ago. So it's 29. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, yeah. So then it actually became pretty concerning to the point where I knew I needed to get sober. And so I agreed to give, um, give up temporary custody of my kids to him for 30 days so I could get sober. And so all I had to do was get sober for 30 days. That's it. And I couldn't do it. Um, and the day I was supposed to get custody back of them, he took me to court on an ex parte um, I, I was not served paper, so I didn't know what I was going into. I didn't know what I was, what he was um, ordering. And I, and I showed up there and basically the judge was like, so basically the judge said, okay, um, it's granted. And I was like, your honor, I just want to make sure like we're going back to our original schedule. You know, me thinking the schedule we had before I gave up temporary custody, right. which was a 50, 50 schedule. And the judge goes, yes, what was ordered. And I was like, okay, I walked out of that courtroom thinking everything was fine. Called my mom. Even I'm like, mom, I did it. Like he's fine. He had his whole family there an attorney with him, everything. I'm just there by myself. And then I look at a paper and it says supervised and unsupervised visits. And that's when I realized I had, um, just lost custody of my three kids. Yeah. Um, and it's like a blur from there. I, I honestly, it's, it's so crazy. So I lost custody of my kids because of my alcoholism. Um, and you think that that would be enough for someone to get sober and quit. And the first thing I did after that was I went and picked up a drink. And I was going to, I was going to ask if you, did you go to court intoxicated? No, but I, I wasn't intoxicated that morning. I probably still had some alcohol in me from the night before though. Right. Um, yeah. And I pretty much decided like tried to pretty much drink myself to death that day. And thankfully my best friend came over and found me and she kept me at her house that night. And the next morning I, um, got into a detox because I could not, get sober on my own. My alcohol withdrawals were so bad to the point where I would have seizures and hallucinations and I would be super, super sick. So I had to be medicated in a detox to come off alcohol at that point. And God, um, that's, that's like really heavy when you need that for, for alcohol. I heard, I hear of that, like with drugs and, you know, medication detoxing, but that's, that's heavy amounts of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So when I actually went to detox, I walked in there um, 
you know, walked in there. I remember everything. I could talk. I was still drinking. I was, I had two tall cans in my hands. Um, my blood alcohol was a 0.457. Oh so at that point, like you should be, you should be dead. 0.3 right. is like coma. So 0.457, everyone was just shocked. Um, and it's really sad to think that that's how much I was drinking and still able to function, uh, you know? Uh, but I, but I stated, so that's when like my new, that's when my sobriety journey started. So that was November 14th of 2019. Um, I stayed there for two weeks and then, um, the day I got out, it was Thanksgiving, 2019. And I had emptied my bank account to get myself into that detox. And so I could no longer afford my condo by myself. So the only options I had when I got out was to either like literally be homeless or go back and live with my ex and be with my kids. And I knew that for my mental health, for my sobriety, the worst thing I could possibly do was move back in with my ex, but I wanted to be with my kids no matter what. And so I moved back in and it was miserable. I was super, super depressed. Um, I like, I had just spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars finally getting out of that situation that I had, you know, tried so hard to get out of. And, and like, then I was just back, you know, I just felt like a failure. And um, unfortunately I didn't stay sober. It took me a couple more months. Um, And was he enabling that in the house? Um, not really. You know, I think at that time the alcohol was removed. So that's the thing in our marriage. Like it was very clear that I had a problem. His pro- his thing was more drugs. Like he could, he drank with me every night, but he could handle it a lot better. Right. He could not have, to, I literally, when I would drink, I would have to start, I would start drinking again in the morning. Like it, I just had to do that. Like he didn't have to do that. Right. Um, so it was never in our marriage. It was never like Brittany, like, let's get you help. You let's get you into treatment. Like, let's take the alcohol out of the house. Like, even I would tell him, like, I can't have alcohol in the house. And he'd be like, well, I'm not the one with the problem. I still want to have my alcohol in the house. And it's like, I don't know. I just don't, I didn't feel supported by him. Because that's not support. That's, that's enabling. And that's, setting you up for failure. Exactly. And so I think when I came back, I don't really, I don't think he had alcohol in the the house at that time. Um, but I had, um, I don't think he, I don't think he did. It's just, I just, I was not, not happy at all. And I had met a, a man in detox actually, and had kind of started hanging out with him and like going to meetings, you know, I was trying to stay sober Um, but I was technically living with my ex-husband still, and then hanging out with this other guy. Um, so we weren't together, but I was still, you know, going and hanging out with someone else and he was not okay with that. And he ended up finding out about it. Um, but right before I found out, actually, I went to Mexico in January, this time last year, I actually was in Mexico. I'm a photographer. So I had my first destination wedding, mm-hmm. um, which I was so excited about, you know, it was amazing, but I ended up relapsing. Um, I got, they brought me to the hotel room and I've never seen a freaking hotel room that has a f- full mini bar, right. like full mini bar, like, and literally you didn't have did nothing. It was all free all free. And he brings me to the room and he's like, is everything okay? Like now I know what to do in those situations. I would ask him to remove the alcohol. But at that time I was only 60 days sober. 
I was by myself in Mexico and I was, I, my alcoholic mind just didn't even think. And I was like, everything's good. He shut the door and I like sprinted to the bar and started drinking, you know, thankfully I made it through the wedding, like, okay. And like, I did my job, but it was, I was a mess uh, in Mexico. It relapsed real bad. Well, and it's, it's, it's hard to, when you're in recovery, it's hard to not relapse when you're forced back into a toxic situation where you're so depressed and you're so unhealthy. So you want to medicate yourself in the only way that's ever worked. So it's, it, I can imagine how difficult that must've been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then too, the, the wedding I was shooting, it was a lot of people I knew from high school who kind of knew I had a problem with alcohol, but um, like way back then, but I was too embarrassed to tell them that it had came, it was a problem again. And that I was trying to get sober. Like, I remember them asking me like, do you drink? And I, my, I remember saying like, um, kind of sometimes like right. I was so embarrassed and like full of shame and I didn't want to be an alcoholic. Um, and yeah, so I relapsed and actually when I got back home, um, you know, I tried to get sober again on, on day four, I went, I didn't think I would go through withdrawals after only drinking for a few days in Mexico, Mm -hmm. but I went through the worst withdrawals of my life. Um, and I actually, it was day four and I remember thinking like, Oh, I feel good today. Like I'm not having any alcohol withdrawals. This is amazing. And then I went to full on psychosis where I started hearing and seeing things. So I wound up in the hospital for that, but the doctor was like, you're on day four withdrawals. Like we're going to give you medicine, which I, you know, I'd been on before because I needed it all the time coming off alcohol. And thankfully, Wait, so like, is that, is that an actual thing that, that happens when you, when you get off of alcohol? Yes. Yeah. That's terrifying. Um, alcohol or drugs. Yeah. That's the only psychosis I've ever been in, but it was the, the scariest thing ever. Um, and it usually happens on, on day four of alcohol withdrawals. That's usually the most dangerous. Like I've had, I had seizures usually on like day three when I would have my seizures. Um, and then day four was when the psychosis happened and it was so weird. So my ex-husband is very, very religious. And I always told him that if I'm going to believe in the God that he wants me to believe in that I, um, I needed a miracle to happen. And so when this started happening, I literally thought that I was being saved. This was my moment. I thought it was God talking to me. Right. But, and he did too. But then it was like hours and hours, like the the voices were like coming from my computer, coming from the guitar, coming from cabinets. And they were telling me to look through the Bible. It was the craziest thing ever. So I'm like reading Bible verses and, um, and then eventually they, the vo- these voices have me go to the window and they want me to put my arms up and no joke, like they start, this, I start lifting off the ground. And I realized in that moment, like, oh my gosh, I'm not being saved right now. Like I'm dying. So I freaked out and I called my ex-husband in and, and I was like, I'm not being, I told him like, I'm not being, I'm not, I'm dying right now. I'm like, I, and that's when it realized I kind of had this feeling in my head that this is from alcohol withdrawals. And I'm like, I think I'm going to die. And I started having a panic attack. And then the, it sounds so insane. But then since I didn't go to heaven, when they were asking me to go, then the devil came into our house and it was a windstorm and it like wrapped its arms around me. 
And I remember I ran outside and I could hear the whole, ch- the whole street chanting. And then I'm like, I'm like, told my ex-husband, I'm like, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And he's like, Brittany, no one's saying anything. And okay. Then- so that's what I was going to ask. Like he yeah. wasn't witnessing any of this in the house. No, but he, okay. he believed that it was God talking. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So no, he didn't see anything. And then, so when he said that outside, finally, I snapped out of it and I said, oh my God, you got to take me to the hospital. Something yeah. really wrong. And so, um, he, and where are the kids during all of this? The kids are, are home or either at the neighbors. Okay. I mean, they were, they were home for some of it, but it really wasn't like, I was like be acting crazy. It was just like, we thought it was really cool. Like I would go to blow dry my hair and like Christian music would start blaring and like songs I had never even heard before. And I I would sing the song and then he would look it up online and he'd be like, is this a song? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I've never heard it before. I'm like me neither, but I would hear it. Weird. I know. And so he dropped me off at the hospital and that's when uh, and I lit it like he didn't come in with me even he just dropped me off and oh my god I know I mean I know. dude I, I it's like you're going through all of this with like zero support system yeah yeah it's just and I packed my bag for the psych board I was like I'm I, something is wrong with me but when when I was at the ER the doctor was like you're on day four withdrawals like these you're having really bad withdrawal syndromes and so he prescribed me the medicine and the voices stopped. I didn't see or hear anything, you know, still to this day, never again, have I ever heard or seen anything that wasn't actually there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really scary. Yeah. I tried getting sober again after that, but, um, I had started taking Suboxone, which is used for heroin, heroin withdrawals. And I was never a heroin user. Um, so, so they say you don't get high off it, but if you, if you're not a heroin user, you you get high off it. Um, and I started using that pretty much every day uh, in place of alcohol. Yeah. In place of alcohol. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, it got to the point where I was like nodding off and it was kind of noticeable to my ex-husband that I was using something and, one day he, he had found out I had hung out with that guy and I just woke up again to a suitcase getting thrown on me and me getting kicked out and him telling me to leave. And I, um, I was like, you can't just kick me out. Like, where am I going to go? I don't have anywhere to go here. Um, and my mom's back in Wisconsin, like on the phone, like trying to tell him like, you can't just kick Brittany out. And, um, I end up calling the cops and the cops come. They're like, yeah, you can't kick her out, but like one of you guys should go. Right. And we end up getting into a big fight and they're like, we need to arrest one of you. Oh my God. And, um, they end up, they end up arresting me and I was so mad. They, they, at that time, I, the only thing I had in my system was Valium that I was prescribed for my alcohol withdrawals, Mm -hmm. but we were in a fight and I was like, so angry. It was almost like I was acting very manic in the moment. And so they arrested me and said that I was on uppers and downers. So, and I heard them say that. So when I got down to the station, I was like, draw my blood. Like I am not getting in trouble for something. And so they, it's so funny because I've been to the drunk tank many times, but never sober. And so I literally spent 12 hours in the drunk tank, 
sober, which today my mom and I joke about all the time, the alcoholic that had to stay in the drunk tank sober. Right. And thankfully, obviously once the results came back from that, like I didn't get charged with anything. It got dropped um, because nothing else showed up in my system. But when I got out, that's when I found out he had filed a restraining order on me, um, which left me homeless now. And I could not see or talk to my kids. And that is when, so this is that, this is, February 1st. So we're coming up on like a year of all of this. Um, February 1st, this happened and, um, of 2020. Yep. Okay. And, uh, you know, instead of me, like now I know who to call if something were to happen. I know the good people to call in my life, but I didn't know that then. And I just, I think I was just, I was in, I was so broken and depressed still that I didn't really, almost care enough. And so I called that guy that I had met in detox and we were homeless together for a couple of weeks. Um, and that's when I started using heroin and meth every day. So up until that point, I had not, I was not really a drug user. Um, and thankfully it was a short time for me because it, it destroyed me yeah. really, really quick. I, I honestly, I don't even remember much from those two weeks. I remember like crying because I missed my kids like constantly, but that's about it because I was so out of it. I don't even remember what it felt like being high because wow. that's how much I would take. And I, I OD'd um, and he found me in my car, like foam puke all over me. He gave me CPR and ended up in the hospital. Oh my God, dude. You I just like, kept trying to, to take yourself out and the universe was like, no, you need to be here. There's a bigger purpose. You, you've yeah. been multiple times. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So February 8th of 2020, I woke up in the hospital and literally I had two options at that point. It was, I was going to go over the border because I'm close to Mexico. I was going to go over the border to Mexico and disappear. And that was literally a a sane, legit idea in my mind of what I could do. Or I was going to get on a plane and go back to Wisconsin and be, stay with my parents, um, and get sober and try to figure out what was going to go on. And like, that's when my whole, um, I don't know, really me believing in a higher, greater, a power greater than myself and believing in God was, was that day. Because I know that I didn't care about myself enough that day to get on the airplane and, and start this new sobriety journey. And like, I know that God picked me up that day in a way that I could not do for myself because I got on a plane. Um, and that that's February 9th is, um, my sobriety date. I've stayed sober ever since. That's amazing. Good for you, girl. Yeah. So that is, that's coming up on, well, by the time this airs, it will have been a year, but we're coming up on a year for yeah. that. Incredible. I know. A couple Congratulations. weeks. Thank so, you. Okay, so you get on a plane, you go to Wisconsin, you're like, fuck this. I'm finally done. We're going to get sober. So then what happens when you get to Wisconsin? Do you go into a detox? So actually, um, since I was, so since I was using more towards the end, um, and not drinking as much, my, like my alcohol withdrawals were terrible, but I actually didn't go to, I didn't do, that's the one time I quit cold Turkey was this last time. And which so is I it's stuck. How interesting. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Um, but I basically sat in my parents' bed for like three weeks and just cried. I mean, I felt like shit. I went to the doctor. I got like, I got some prescriptions, um, to like help me through it, but I pretty much just did it cold Turkey. And like, so through that time now I'm trying to get sober. Um, my ex-husband now had all cut off all communication with my mom, even. So my mom can't even speak to my grandkids. Um, 
which that that for her was a huge turning point and in, in realizing what type of person yeah he was and what she had done do. nothing wrong no nothing like why, why would those ties be severed yeah mm-hmm. um and so yeah through that time we're now all of a sudden we need to find an attorney you know at this point because the restraining orders on me and a lot of the attorneys we call they said that no joke, realistically, it could be three to five years before I saw my kids again. So the restraining order was placed on me because of something someone else said. That guy who I was out with, homeless, uh-huh. had said that he wanted to um, he wanted to have my ex-husband killed. And I told my ex-husband out of concern for him. Oh, because um, you thought he was you thought he was legitimately serious. Yeah. And I told him out of concern and he put the restraining order on me instead of him. So I still hold, I wasn't in a good place. You know, I shouldn't have been seeing my kids either, but at the same time in that moment, um, I, I don't know, still this day, I think it should have been on him. But so that's why it was, it, the, a lot of attorneys were like, it could be three to five years before you saw your kids again. And that was probably, that was so hard. I was like, you know, sober but like withdrawing off drugs and alcohol still and like trying to like I remember telling my mom like mom I can't no way I can't do three to five years and she's like Brittany people go away people go away like to the military and I'm like mom I can't I, how, I how old were the kids at the time so my boys were three and my daughter was six so she actually turned seven during this time so I missed her seventh birthday last year which um, like my kids are my whole life. I've been a stay at home mom. Um, and like their birthdays are, I like go all out. I had already planned her whole birthday. Um, I had bought everything for it, for her party. And so, yeah, I had to miss her birthday. I couldn't even call her and say happy birthday. I actually, um, made her like a book though uh-huh. of like for her birthday and like wrote down like where I was. And like, so when I got to see her again, I was able to give it to her. And like, so she knew that, um, because when I was gone, my kids were told from their dad that mommy was gone and she wasn't coming back. And like, they didn't really know, you know, at that time, like how hard I was fighting for them. Right. Um, so we ended up having a court day. It was 28 days from when the restraining order started. So it was 28 days without me seeing or talking to my kids, which is the longest, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever wish that on any parent to have to go through. It was just so hard, yeah. but um, thankfully I showed up in court. And um, at that point I, I had done everything possible I could have done. I was getting drug tested daily. I was, I had bought breathalyzers. I was proving my sobriety. I was, um, I had seen a psychiatrist and a doctor. I was proving my sanity, um, you know, all this stuff that he had thrown on, thrown me on the bus. And thankfully that day I ended up getting legal custody back. And so when I got that, um, then it was, and I got to see my kids that day, which was amazing. We drove straight from the courthouse, like to my daughter's school. And it was crazy. I have a video of it that I've shared in some of my TikToks. Um, but like, she was shocked to see me because she, and it's almost like she didn't even look excited because she was so shocked because she didn't think she would see me again. And didn't understand where you had gone or why. So it was yeah. really confusing. And it was almost like she was scared because it was put off to like that mommy was like this terrible person. Um, yeah. Oh God, that must've been so hard. I know it really was. And like, thankfully, you know, I have my mom by my side through this the whole time. Um, and she's been really, really supportive for me. Um, because like, yes, my, my, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, you know, my, my drinking was 
was terrible. Um, but like, I'm not a bad person. and I'm not a bad mom, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I got, got to see my kids that day. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, mom, like, where am I? I don't have any money. Where am I? I have no money. I didn't, he kept, he got to keep everything from the house, um, the house, everything inside it. I had nothing. And I was like, they're not going to give me my kids back if I don't have a place to live. And so she actually just stayed out here with me. Um, and we got a place together and, um, she quit her job. She, you know, her and my dad are still married. She left my dad back there and wow. she stayed and left everything to start this new life here with me. Um, mom for the win. That sounds I like know. my mom would have done. <laughs> yeah. It's like, honestly, it's like, Oh, it's so hard being 30 years old and living with your mom again, but like, oh my gosh, that's the amount of things that this woman has done for me. Like, I'm so, so, so grateful. So when you got legal custody back that day, was it full custody or back to 50, 50? It was, um, it, it wasn't even, I still could only do supervised visits. Okay. I had legal custody, but he still had physical custody. So at that time I only got supervised visits back. Okay. Um, but almost instantly he couldn't, he really couldn't pay for childcare while he worked. So I, I had said, I can watch the kids for you. So, um, while you work, so I got to see them every day since I watched him while, um, while he was at work. Um, and then like COVID hit and then actually we got a letter in the mail, um, saying that because of, he actually had a CPS case open on him and because of his issues, which, you know, I was thrown under the bus for all of mine, you know, but he had never had to take any, you know, he didn't have to pay any consequence for what he had done. But finally we got a letter in the mail. Yeah. Thankfully at that time now I had had a couple months sober and I had continued to to, um, prove my sobriety, you know, prove that I was clean with drug tests. I was going to meetings. Um, I had my psychiatrist, I was on medications for my psychiatrist and which I don't think people like my, my attorney said he's never really seen like someone do all that work without being actually like ordered to do it. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's what I really want to tell people is like, you have to do everything in your power. Like if you want your kids back, cause I'm, I'm really lucky that I got them back so quick. Um, but I did, you know, it was a lot of work that I did and I, you know, I proved myself. And so when, where are we at? Um, you oh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so we got the letter and thankfully I had enough. We, our attorneys were like, no, like you guys are good now at this point, they're not going to have to go into foster care, but like, it was close. Yeah. It was really close. It was like a big um, wake up call. Yeah. And then I got physical custody back after that. And I was still watching them though for, for the end of the day. So I ended up, I had them about 80, 90% of the time. Right. Um, and then just actually a few months ago. And then, yeah. So then I, I, I like began my life trying to figure out who I was without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really hard for me because I only knew myself. I've always been a really fun, friendly person. Um, 
but like alcohol made me be that person. Right. And which also made turn me into a complete monster, but not a lot of people got to see that because I didn't, I wasn't the one that like when like a lot of my friends honestly didn't even know that I had a problem because I was like an at home drinker. I didn't go out and do stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just kind of started getting my life together and figuring out who I was. Um, I found AA, I met new friends. I started, you know, going to therapy. I started trying to figure out how I was going to even like myself at this point, at that point. Um, and being, finding, being able to forgive myself was a huge step in that. Um, and part of me doing that part of me forgiving myself was owning up to my actions. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying like everyone has to do what I did, but this time around, I just announced it to social media. Like I am an alcoholic. I have a problem because um, I needed to be held accountable. Yeah. And I couldn't lie. I couldn't, I was embarrassed and I was full of shame. But at the same time, I knew I had to do it at that point. A lot of people knew something was up because I was back in Wisconsin and yeah. Um, and, and so now today, your mm-hmm. what's your dynamic like with your ex-husband? Yeah, or- so so we went no contact for six months. Um, we had to do that. We were court ordered to speak through a messaging system. Oh wow! Because, because it was bad. It was bad. Um, we were very angry at each other. Um, and you know, I talked about that a lot in a lot of my TikTok videos were about him, about narcissism, about domestic violence, um, just about the things he said and did to me, even just through that time in those six months. And but today, finally, actually on Thanksgiving, um, we just had a conversation and we're like, we can't do this. Like our kids deserve to have two parents that can get along, you know, no matter what, like our kids were so confused. And so we actually started talking again and like, it's crazy just in a couple months today, like we're friends and we get along. Um, and we're really trying our best to be able to co-parent for, um, the sake of our kids. And, you know, it's really like, like opened my eyes a lot to, um, so I've discussed with him now about this whole gaslighting thing. And right. it's so funny, you know, I'm like, gaslighting was a story of my life. And like what you were saying to me, you calling me crazy, you telling me I needed this magic pill. And he's like, what even is gaslighting? So he had no, you know, right. I don't think he internally really meant to do it to gain control, but it's, it's what happened. You know, right. he didn't really realize that that's what it was going on. And so like today, like, you know, he is, um, he's, starting therapy now, you know, to work on all this. It's been really hard for me to, he, he doesn't like labels, um, at all. He's a really hard time with labels. Mm -hmm. Like when I talked to him about, um, being narcissistic, you know, or being abusive, he doesn't like the labels. And I'm like, can you imagine how I feel? I don't want to be called an alcoholic, you know, but I am. And so that's something that, but he's, I'm, I'm really, really proud of him for what he's willing to do, um, to like get, to get help. So it's almost like you guys just needed to take out the substances and take out like the relationship and you're able to now, you know, coexist as not only co-parents, but as friends and people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. If you had to tell, people that are struggling with substance abuse, like one thing or one piece of advice for them to take with them, what would it be? 
Uh, I think, I think the hardest thing for me was asking for help. Uh, I feel like I did a lot of things to cry out for help, but asking for help was a huge, was so hard for me. And so just to know that it's okay to ask for help, you, you need to ask for help. And because we don't do this on our own, you know, I didn't do this. There's, there are so many people out there that can help you. Um, and like the recovery community is just, is just so amazing. And we don't do this alone at yeah. all. Absolutely. And what do you think, how has this like changed you as a person and as a mom? Oh, I mean, oh my, I mean, just, it's, an, it's just so crazy how much just this life had, this last year has, you know, impacted my life. It's been, it started as the worst year ever and turned into the best year ever. But I think today, um, it, it's made me feel okay with, with who I am. Um, you know, even though that I am an alcoholic and I do have this, like my past doesn't define me, but it made me into the person I am today. And like my, my greatest accomplishment and like the thing I'm most proud of is being able to be a sober mom because I was the drunk mom, you know, for a while. Yeah. And, um, just being able to be present for my kids. And it's, you know, we're, it's a, it's a process earning their trust back. Um, yeah, I after, bet. yeah. So that's, it's been a process and they, they still have questions and they still, they, they like those, like my, my four-year-old the other day, he said, just randomly, mommy, remember when you were in jail? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're like, yep, yeah. I do. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, it's, I just, it's amazing. Um, just being able to be present. It's crazy. I was actually sober for my daughter's first three years of her life. And then I, I was drinking for the first three years of life of my twins' lives. And it's just looking back, it's so crazy, the difference. And so I'm just happy now that like, I get to, I, I missed out on a lot of my twins' first three years. Yeah. So just but being the fact and the fact that you're here now and present and working daily to be able to be there for them is really beautiful. And I'm so glad that your story had a happy ending, girl. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Thank you for being so open and so vulnerable and honest with everybody. I'm sure everybody I know got a lot out of hearing your wild story of a life. Um, Can you tell everyone where they can follow you and find you on social media? Yes. So um, I'm basically active on TikTok and Instagram. So my name is Brittany Jade with five underscores. Um, So you can follow along over on there. Cool, girl. Thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate you. And um, cheers to your sobriety year, girl. That's amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Oof. I told you guys it was it was a gnarly one. Um, some of the stuff that she was talking about in that interview, I felt like was out of a fucking Hollywood movie. Like it can't be real. Um, it just really goes to show how deep people can lose themselves in addiction and what a serious disease it is. And like I said, <laughs> um, she announced something a few months after we recorded this that really shocked all of her followers on social media and myself included. I remember my jaw kind of hitting the floor when I first saw the post, but especially going back and proofing this episode and hearing her talk about the 
toxicity in her relationship with her ex-husband and um, the narcissism that was going on and how they couldn't function together in a healthy way for not only each other, but for their three kids. And then she dropped it. The news that her and her ex-husband were getting back together. And lo and behold, they went from dating to putting their rings back on to being a fully functioning, healthy, sober family. And because I just had to know the details and I needed to know his perspective and what was going on in his mind during all the court battles and the $100,000 divorce that never actually got finalized and really just get the male perspective of the giant shit show of a story that we just heard. So of course, Miss Brittany and her husband, Wyland, will be on next week's episode of FML Talk. I cannot wait to dive in to all the nitty gritty, all of the things, and get all the details from the both of them. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. And if you want a little extra FML Talk love, come hang with us on the subscription that we now have at Patreon slash FML Talk to get a whole season of mini bonus episodes that are going to have exclusive content you cannot hear anywhere else. This first season, we are doing FML Talk's Guide to Relationships, where we will talk divorce, marriage, cheating, fuckboys, dating apps, you name it, we've got it. And in a future season, whenever book two is dropping, you will be getting a full season that is going to be a director's cut behind the scenes. All the stuff that I had to cut out, me giving commentary on different chapters as you go, it's going to be the place to be if you are an FMLer. So make sure you go sign up to come hang out with us on Patreon slash FML Talk. And of course, make sure you're hanging with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you post a picture in your merch, make sure you tag FML Talk Boss Babes and keep submitting your FML stories because they will be coming at you in future episodes. Until next week, guys, I am so glad to be back with you. Have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.